All right. Well, good morning. We're in John's Gospel, John chapter 6, picking up where we left off last week, which begins in verse 41. So we're going to read half of our text, and then we're going to pray once more and get into the word. Verse 41. Then the Jews, I did this last service, not then. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread of life which comes down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, the prophet is Isaiah, it's Isaiah 54, actually, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who was sent from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread. I wonder when Jesus says this is the bread, if he motioned toward his body. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which comes uh, my eyes are jumping all over. Here it is again, which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Lord, I pray that you would help me to focus. Uh, my eyes are jumping all over the place uh, on your word. And I just pray now that you'd give me clarity as I speak. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us by your spirit, not just a mere man, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for chapter 6. We've been in this chapter for quite a while. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that we'd benefit from our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, John chapter 6, we see now the teaching of Jesus. And, and we see the response of the people concerning the teaching of Jesus. We see the people responding by murmuring. We just read that. Verses 41 through 51, the people were murmuring about Jesus because they thought they knew everything they needed to know about Jesus. And then they went from murmuring to quarreling. And we see that in verses 52 through 59. And then next week we'll see that they move from murmuring, quarreling, to departing verses 60 through 71. I was thinking of how, um, as we were worshiping the Lord, I was thinking of just the flow of chapter 6. You know, you have the feeding of the 5,000. And so Jesus takes a, a small lunch or meal that a lad had, a boy had. He had a few small fish, a few barley loaves. He multiplies it. Everyone there, uh, 5,000 people, plus women and children, they all eat until they're full. This wasn't a sacramental, sacramental, sacrament, what's the word over here? Sacrificial? No, no, no. 
um, symbolic. This was not a symbolic meal. It's not the word I'm using. It'll come to me tonight. But anyway, <laughs> this was a real meal, the real deal meal, you know, and they ate to their full. And then, of course, we saw right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sends his disciples out uh, into the waters of the Galilee. I was thinking about it. It just kind of hit me between services as we're worshiping. I was just thinking about the text, and I was thinking, it's interesting, Lord, because as we studied the storm, it was apparent that this wasn't happenstance. Jesus actually sent them into the storm. I mean, he knew that the storm was coming. And I was just thinking, isn't it interesting? Why would he do that? And then it hit me. He was preparing them for a storm that was coming. You say, what are you talking about? In the storm, they were prepared for a storm that was coming. The storm that was coming was that people would depart from Jesus. That would be a bigger storm than the storm they were dealing with, the wind and the sea and the water and everything on the Sea of Galilee. Everything that the Lord does is preparation for the next thing that the Lord's going to do. We need to understand that. We need to rest assured that, you know, the Lord knows what's coming. We need to trust in him. Now, if you've been with us in our study of John's gospel, you, you know that last week, Jesus, he, he kind of cuts to the chase. He puts these people, these followers, they're referred to as disciples in the text. He puts them in their place. In verse 26, you could look back at that. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So Jesus says, listen, I know your motivation. I know that you're motivated because you had full bellies and now your bellies are empty and you want them to be full again. And I love that about our Lord. You know, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't, you know, beat around the bush. He just kind of calls things as they are. Their attention, obviously, from the text, their attention was on food and eating. And so Jesus uses food and eating to illustrate their greatest need. Their greatest need is the greatest need of everyone. It's salvation. And so Jesus spoke allegorically in his teaching to speak of their need. Now, guys, Jesus did this quite often. You know, I was sharing with the first service, and I don't know, maybe I lost some of them as I was making the statement, but I think we need to be so careful when we study the scriptures. When we study the scriptures, we need to understand there's 66 books in the Bible, and yet all of the books are linked together. All of them are connected. You don't say, well, that no longer applies. I'm no longer concerned about this. All of them are linked together. All of them are going to confirm, they are going to enhance uh, the scriptures that come before and the, the scriptures that, that, that follow. I, I said to the first service that when we're reading, for example, the Gospel of John, we need to remember that the Gospel of John, chapter 1, is connected to chapter 6. So the things that we read in chapter 1, we don't forget about that and say, oh, that was, that was months ago that we were in chapter 1. No, 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 no. It's one author, it's inspired by one spirit, and there's one message, and the message continues through from chapter 1 to the end of John's gospel account, and truly beyond. This is what I mean. 
When Jesus spoke to old Nicodemus, remember he was an old guy? When he spoke to old Nicodemus, what illustration did he use? He says, you must be born again. You must be born again. He spoke of new birth. So you're talking to an old guy about new birth. That's interesting. When he spoke to the thirsty Samaritan woman who happened to be at the well to draw water, what, what, what did he use to draw her in? He spoke to her about living water. When Jesus addresses these people who had followed Jesus from the other side of, of the Sea of Galilee, that, that lake there in Israel, um, they ate of the loaves and were filled, and so he uses the illustration of bread. So it's important to understand this, otherwise you come up with all sorts of strange, strange things. You know, I need to be careful because of time, but this is where a lot of people get messed up when it comes to Bible prophecy. They don't understand key things in Bible prophecy, and so they're always trying to insert things that don't fit into Bible prophecy, and they become very, very confused. So Jesus, Jesus, he speaks of new birth, he speaks of living water, he speaks of the bread of life, he's speaking of himself, he's speaking of the means of salvation. Jesus is, of course, the means of salvation. Now, again, if you were with us last week, you know that um, these, these hungry disciples who were following Jesus, um, they were hoping that he would do something greater than the multiplying of a few fish and bread. And so they gave a suggestion. They said, you know, you want us to believe in you. We'll believe in you if you could do what Moses did. Moses gave our fathers bread, manna, in the wilderness. So if you could do that, we'll believe in you. And remember how Jesus set them straight on that whole thing. You know, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread. It's, it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. And so constantly bringing clarity, constantly bringing the truth into a situation. But these folks, they're focused on one thing. Their attention is fixed on one thing. They're hinting about manna. When Jesus doesn't give them the manna, what do they do? They find fault with him. And the fault they found with Jesus was something he said. And the something he said... now. In our text today, because we've only read half of it, but in, in both accounts, it's something he said. They don't have an issue with what he's done. They have an issue with what's coming out of his mouth. And so this first, first portion of our text today, the issue they, they had is that Jesus said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. That's the thing that bothered them, came down from heaven. I don't think they even had an issue with him saying, I am the bread. But the whole point was, came down from heaven. You know what's interesting? In John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, six times we read the statement, come down from heaven. We see it in verse 33, verse 38, verse 41, verse 42, verse 50, verse 58. Why, did, why is it repeated over and over and over again? Six times. Well, parents, why do you repeat yourself to your children? <laughs> because you want it to be heard. You want it to be known. 
He wanted them to know he came down from heaven. And so they began to murmur. Verse 42. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? In other words, we know who he is. We know his parents. And we know he did not come down from heaven. We could open up those back doors, please. We know that he did not come from heaven. And I look at this and I think, well, there's some life application for us right there in the text. Because there are many people who think that they, because they know some things about Jesus, that they know everything about Jesus. Or that they know some things about Jesus. Well, I know he died upon the cross. So therefore, therefore what? Some people make that leap. Well, I'm, I guess I'm a follower. But of course, that's not what being a follower looks like. It's not just simply, you know, believing. There should be some, uh, you know, response to the believing. I mean, true belief, if I believe something, uh, I, you know, it, it makes me walk in that belief. I'm not idle. I'm not just, you know, kind of sitting there, you know, waiting for the next thing to happen to me. But I'm getting up and I'm doing what the Lord has called me to. It's not enough to think that we know him. We must believe in him. We must receive him. Remember that, guys? Again, I'm referring to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, 12. In fact, I think that every chapter that I've been in as, I, as a teacher of John's gospel to you, this congregation, I think every chapter I've come back to this verse. John 1, 12. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Well, verse 48 goes on. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. So, again, we're just keeping the flow. They're the ones that brought up manna. Jesus didn't bring up manna. They brought up manna. And so now he's using that as an illustration. By the way, guys, you know, as you're sharing the gospel with people, sometimes I think that we're, we're, we're so uh, bent on the next thing we're going to say that we're not listening to what they're saying. And we might find it to be beneficial if we just listen to what other people are saying and maybe the Holy Spirit would lead us to kind of go off of what they just said using that as an illustration because that's where their mind is. So kind of connecting with where they're at presently and then bringing the gospel and sharing the gospel from that point. Jesus, as I mentioned, you know, they said, uh, if you could do what Moses did for our Fathers, that would be great. But Jesus set them straight. It wasn't Moses, but it was God. And God doesn't, didn't just give your fathers. He, he gives, he gives, present tense, the true bread from heaven. It's not manna, but it's Jesus. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. The manna was the shadow of things to come. Jesus is the reality. He is the bread which came down from heaven. Jesus is clearly... Greater than the manna. The manna sustained life daily for a time and then it ended. The manna sustained life only for the Jews and only when they, while they were in the wilderness and then it ceased. But Jesus, Jesus gives life, eternal life to 
Whoever believes, John 3, 16, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. So when you follow Jesus as he's teaching, he's, he's making a comparison. He's not taking away from what, what happened in the wilderness and how the Lord was providing, but he's helping them connect the dots. Hey, guys, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you've truly been born again, if you have the spirit of the living God within you and you own a Bible and you should own a Bible, a paper one, a paper one. I'm so, you know, you know, I love my electronic Bible. You can't use your electronic Bible in daylight, can you? Try to read that thing. I, there's no way I could use my computer out in my backyard. There's so much glare and everything. I say, oh, you got a cheap one, you know. Well, whatever. All I know is this, that I, <laughs> I'm not getting a glare off of my, my, my paper Bible, you know, where I can take it with me wherever I go, never have to worry about the battery going dead. It's always available there. Anyway, my plug for the Bible. I'm always plugging the Bible because the Bible is the means by which our faith increases. It's not, you know, oh, my experiences. And I mean, there's been too much of that. And you have people that have drifted so far away from the truth of God's word. They don't even know how to decipher their own personal experiences with the word of God. Because they lack the discernment that comes from the word of God. But, but Jesus, as he's talking to them, guys, he's not being aloof because he does not want them to understand. He's speaking to them so that those who have ears to hear will hear what he's saying. It's kind of the strange thing. You know, it's like before I was a Christian, I would read the Bible. I mean, just sections of it that someone would point out to me. I would read it. It made absolutely no sense at all. It was not appealing to me. There was nothing in it that I thought, oh, that's interesting. It was just a book. But then I'm born again. I become a, a Christian, and immediately, the very first thing is I want to I read a Bible. I don't have a Bible. My wife has a Bible, so I pick up her Bible, and I start reading that, and it's almost as if somebody turned this spiritual light on, and I'm reading it, and I'm going, wow, that's interesting. See, because now I'm in covenant, I'm in relationship with the author of the book. So now it's important to me. Let me put it this way, it's a weak illustration. But when my wife, before she was my wife, she had a pre-planned trip after she graduated from high school to go to Europe for a month. Her older, oldest sister, older sister lived in Cannes, France. I said, we're, we met a French couple in Santa Barbara when Tracy and I were down there just recently. And I said, con, or con, you know, I, and of course they corrected me. The French, oh, the French, so. Anyway, but um, so they were, she was going there for her sister's wedding there. They were gonna be there in two, for two weeks. But the other two weeks they're gonna be traveling around Europe. So a month, a month apart. That was agony for me. Uh, you know, it was a piece of cake for Tracy, but for me, no. But you know what I would do when Tracy was gone? I would read these love letters, these cards, these things that she put in print in her own hand. I would read them over and over and over again. You say, oh, that's sappy, you know. Well, that's as close as I could get to the one I love. 
And I'll tell you, when, when you are in relationship with the Lord, the author of this book, you read the scriptures, it's like a love letter to you. It's not sappy. It's a spiritual connection. You're reading his word and you're saying, wow, Lord, this is so good. And you see how things are tying together and you see that there's a theme that the Lord is teaching and you're seeing that there are these contrasts throughout the scriptures. And the contrasts are there so that the reader of the scripture, so the person who has the spirit of God can read the scripture and say, I see it now. Oh, it's so crystal clear. That which was so, you know, I, I mean, I, I couldn't comprehend anything. Now I just see it. It is so beautiful. It's so clear. And what does that do? It builds your faith. It builds your faith. The Jews, they ate manna daily. But then what happened? They grew to, to despise it. They hated it. More manna? We hate this stuff. You know? It's amazing. And the Jews, they ate manna daily. But eventually, they died. And that's the point that Jesus is making. In fact, all of the population of the Exodus group from 20 years of age and older died in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. Think about that. 40 years, why so long? Well, there are a lot of people that had to die. Why did they have to die? Because of the rebellion. They would not listen. They would not obey. They, they listened to the, to the majority instead of the minority. When the minority was saying, let's go. Yes, there's giants in the land. But let me tell you about the fruit. Let me tell you about the good things. It is truly a land of milk and honey. I mean, this is a great place. The Lord didn't lie to us about this. Let's go take it. And the rest, they listened to the majority. And that's what's happening in many churches today. The majority. What's the majority say? Who cares what the majority says? What does God say? What does God's word say? We need to be people who adhere, who believe, who stand upon the word of God. It's interesting. You look at the contrast, you know, between the Jews, the Hebrew people in the wilderness, eating their manna, despising their manna, eating their manna, eventually dying. But when you believe and receive Jesus within, you live forever. That's what Jesus said. You live forever. You say, well, that, that, that must be symbolic as well. Well, no, it's spiritual. It's, uh, we need to understand it from a spiritual perspective. Remember what Jesus said to Martha, her, her brother had died, and Jesus knew he was sick and dying, and, and he delayed. Again, that's one of those things where you have this question mark that kind of pops over your head and you say why did he delay if he if he would have hurried up he could have gotten there and healed him but but he waited and he waited until he was dead and he was dead for four days and uh, he showed up and remember how the sisters reacted there was disappointment there was oh oh if only type of and Jesus said to Martha I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And of course, that was true of Lazarus. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her the question, do you believe this? And of course, she went on to say, well, yes, of course I believe. At the end, in the last of days, the dead will be resurrected. 
Jesus says, I'm not talking about that. You say, well, wait a minute. I've known a lot of Christians that have died. I mean, where, where are the, where, where's Paul? You know, where, where's, where's Thomas? Where, you know, a lot of Christians have died. That's right. But you know, the Bible gives us an insight on something, the New Testament, in Christ, those who are in Christ, that the Old Testament saints did not have. Guys, we're going through the Psalms on Wednesday nights in no particular order. We're just kind of going as we're led. But you read the Psalms, and I think of some of the Psalms, like from David, you know. He speaks of the fact that if I'm dead, I can't praise you, you know. What are you going to do once I'm dead type of thing? Almost like this is all there was. But of course, the New Testament, what does the New Testament teach us? New Testament, Paul tells us that for the believer to be absent from the body, so that speaks of death, when the spirit leaves the body, is to be present with the Lord. And what great comfort is that? In fact, listen, if we have an understanding of what the Bible is teaching, if we have an understanding of salvation and eternity and all these things, we should never, ever be mad because someone has gone home, a believer has gone home to be with the Lord. You know, I, I've, I've seen it. I, you know, my mother came to Christ in her 80s. Uh, Tracy's mom came to faith in Christ, uh, not that old, but later on in life. And, and with both of those ladies, when they were close to death, in fact, Tracy's mom had asked Tracy at one point, she said, does the Lord want me? And Tracy said, well, what do you mean, mom? She says, I keep praying that he, will just, he would just take me. And yet he hasn't. Doesn't he want me? She wasn't wrestling with, I have to go. She was wrestling with, why am I still here? You know, I'm, I'm dying. I've got cancer. I'm dying. This is, this is the end of my life. What's taking so long? My mother kind of had the same attitude when she knew that she was dying. It's a different perspective, isn't it? Well, Jesus, if you placed your faith in him, you'll never die. It will be like walking out of this life immediately into the presence of the Lord. I can't wait for that. It's going to be glorious. I don't have a death wish. I have a life wish. Jesus, verse 51. The bread that I shall give is my flesh. Now, Jesus obviously is speaking symbolically, and yet there are those who say, no, it's not symbolic. It's speaking of something else. There are those who will say, it's speaking of communion. So see, they take this jump. They take this leap. They forget what's written in uh, John chapter 1 and what's written in John chapter 3 and what's written in John chapter 4, and they forget what's already been read, what we've already studied in John chapter 6 and beyond. They've forgotten what Jesus taught, and they say, it must speak of something else. It must be communion. Now, I was raised Roman Catholic, and Roman Catholics, there's something that we understood. The main thing, the main event of a Mass is the Eucharist. It's, it's the Lord's Supper. That's the main event. In fact, all Catholics knew that if you're late for Mass, as long as you got there before the Eucharist was handed out, you're good to go. So, the Eucharist. The priest, I said to the first service that 
as a priest was up there preparing the communion for the, the church, um, when I was a kid, I always felt like it was intermission, you know, because he had his back to us. Back in the old days, they've kind of switched that around. Now the priest faced the congregation. But originally, the back was always to the congregation. Everything was done between him and, you know. But um, he takes and he breaks and he eats and he mixes and he drinks and he breaks and he takes and he brings it down to the people. And when he brings it down to the people, every person, back in the old days when I was a Roman Catholic, you weren't able to touch the bread, you were not able to touch the cup. Uh, he would place it upon your tongue and uh, he would put the glass, the, not the glass, but the chalice up to your mouth and he would say, body of Christ, and the person receiving would say, amen. Um, and, uh, and, and there was this understanding, there was this, this transfer that took place. That mere bread and that mere oil, uh, uh, wine has turned now in magically, supernaturally, into the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. It's the main thing. Catholic Church, the Eucharist is the main thing. It's the main thing on the altar. Did you know that? The Eucharist is in a glass container. Looks like a sun, like a sunburst type of thing. What's in the middle of that? It's the Eucharist. Eastern Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox believe, well, um, communion is so important that you have to give it to infants. And so they will give their infants a little piece of bread, a little piece of, a little drink of the juice. If they do not partake of communion and they were to die, they would be lost. Some groups even say, Christian groups say, we need to give communion because this is what Jesus was speaking about in John chapter 6. We need to give communion even to the dead. So someone dies, you take the bread, you put it in their mouth. I don't know how they, you know. <laughs> and then the juice, you let that roll down their gullet. And, but is that what Jesus was talking about, guys? We partake of communion because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He said that in, Matthew, or in Mark's gospel account, in Luke's gospel account, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. And then in the same manner, the cup. So where am I going with this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to look back at verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. First question, have you come to Jesus? Second question, do you still hunger? I'll tell you, after services, I can't wait to get home to eat a good meal. Look at me. Obviously, I still hunger. You know? <laughs> and I'll always hunger as long as I'm in this body. So obviously, he's not speaking of hunger for food or for drink. He's speaking of a spiritual satisfaction. When I came to faith in Christ, you know what I stopped doing? 
I stopped looking into Krishna and Maharaji, uh, you know, the, the gurus and, and any other, uh, you, know, uh, in, uh, you know, enlightenment or metaphysics or anything. I stopped. Why? My appetite has been satisfied forever in Christ. I don't have to look into those things any longer. But Jesus said, catch it, comes to me, believes in me. Verse 47, look at it. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. There's no mention of eating. It's not communion. It's not something we eat or something we do. Remember the question last week that the, these disciples, that's what they're called. It wasn't the 12, but they were disciples. They were students of Jesus. They were following Jesus. That They, they came to Jesus and um, and Jesus said, do not labor for bread that perishes. Remember that? And they honed in on the word labor. And they thought to themselves, well, he must want us to work. And so they came up with the question. They said, what shall we do that we may work, labor, same Greek word, the works of God? And Jesus answered them and said, eat lots of communion. No. He says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. It's not doing, it's not work or works, it's believing in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you guys, this is why we have so many denominations. This is why we have so many variations of Christianity in the world today. Because we're not heeding the words of Christ and we're taking the words of Christ when he's speaking symbolically, you know, speaking to a particular group about a particular subject using something that they, were, they would resonate with. Nicodemus, new birth. Samaritan woman, living water. Those who ate the loaves, bread. Do you see what I'm saying? And we try to make a doctrine out of it. And we try to make it something more than it is. Look at verse 52. Boy, I'm out of time. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they're not tracking. They're, they're having a hard time with this. And hey, we're not making fun of them. It's just, you know, where they were. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat, the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And then we're told the last verse that he taught this in the synagogue there in Capernaum. It says in verse 52 that they, that they, um, they ask the question, how can this man give us his flesh? And then the verse goes on to say that they quarreled among themselves. And I find some comfort in that, personally. They quarreled among themselves. This is what I picture. Now, of course, I'm, 
I'm uh, reading into the text because the text doesn't tell us precisely what they were saying. But they were quarreling, and I kind of picture that some saying, you know, this is so disgusting that he wants us to eat his flesh. And others saying, oh, don't be foolish. Obviously, he wasn't talking about that. That there would be different sides. They're quarreling among themselves about what Jesus meant. Guys, keep in mind that they thought they knew Jesus because they knew his father and mother. And the fact of the matter is, they didn't even get his father right. They thought they knew what Jesus was talking about because he says, you must eat my flesh. And they were wrong on both accounts. And we need to be people that are careful about studying the scriptures and, and understanding, you know, when the Lord is speaking symbolically. Guys, is Jesus a seed? No. But when some Greeks wanted to come and, and have a, a, an interview with him, a time with him, he says to his disciples that the seed must die, fall into the earth and die before it can produce fruit. Who is he speaking about? His body. He was saying, not until after the resurrection, not until after the crucifixion, the cross, and the resurrection, then it's open, not just to Jew, but to Greek, to barbarian, to Scythian, to all people. Do you see what I'm saying? Is Jesus a vine? No, of course not. But he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me. Do you see what I'm saying? There are pictures so we could understand, so that we could, we could glean from this. If I'm abiding in Christ, I'm going to bear fruit. I can do nothing without him. He gives us these pictures so that we could understand spiritual truths because the spiritual truths, frankly, are beyond our pea little brains to understand. I think it's... I think it's interesting that Jesus did not correct them, that he didn't say, listen, I'm not literally speaking of my flesh. It's almost as if Jesus plays upon <laughs> the ridiculous reasoning. He doubles down. He adds my blood to it. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now, for us, we're on this side of the cross. We read this. We understand Speaking of his death, speaking of the cross, speaking of the things he would accomplish. We understand these things. But what about the person who, who looks at this and says, how do we know that Jesus wasn't speaking literally? Think about that. He had one body, his incarnation. I mean, this is disgusting to even say this, but how many people could eat on him until he's all gone? Do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't line up with the Mosaic law because such a thing was forbidden. It was an abomination to the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? You just simply, you're using scripture to reason through the scriptures. It's not, well, I feel. Well, I think. Well, this is my opinion. on. Man, we don't have that liberty to do that. We need to go back to the word of God. What is the word? teaching what is the word teaching in fact when we get next week when we get to verse 63 Jesus says the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life 
What are you saying, Jesus? I'm not speaking literally. There's spirit. These are spiritual things. Do you understand, you know? He's helping them. Guys, in closing, Jesus used human allegories to convey the spiritual truths. He did it with Nicodemus. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Did Nicodemus understand? No, he didn't understand. Nicodemus asked the question. Listen, his question is really no different from the question that these people in chapter 6 are asking. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Listen, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? If you think it's gross to literally eat the flesh of Jesus, and it is, how much How gross is it to think of a grown man entering his mother's womb a second time to be born? It's absurd, right? If it doesn't make sense, (laughs) we need to back off. See, and this is where a lot of people, they get caught up in these things and and they try to spiritualize this and spiritualize that. And yet it's clear from the text when we become students of the word. Jesus, the Samaritan woman, He said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Did she understand it? No. We don't fault her for not understanding what Jesus was saying. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Guys, are you tracking with this? It's beautiful. Because Jesus is not saying, I'm going to speak in riddles so that you won't understand what I'm saying. I mean, he did that with the parables for a specific purpose. But he's not speaking in a parable here. He's speaking to them. And it's like he wants them to just come track with me. And, And what happened? Did Nicodemus get offended and say, you're out of your mind. I'm an old man. I can't be born again. No. He became a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was the one with Joseph who buried, who took the body of Jesus and laid it in the tomb. He wasn't offended by Jesus' teaching. He probably went home, probably pondered the things that Jesus was saying. He probably said, I don't understand these things. And then there was the resurrection. And he says, oh. (sighs) Yeah. Clarity. Samaritan woman. Was she offended? Did she go away mad? No, she went into the village and said, I I think I might have met the Messiah. He told me all things I ever did. And they said, really? Let's go out. Wrap their turbans on, white turbans. (laughs) And and there they come, all these white turbans. And Jesus says to his disciples, look, the fields are white unto harvest, which blew their minds Because there were Samaritans, and Jews and Samaritans have no dealing with one another. I mean, God, the Lord was just doing things that were opening the mind and the hearts of people. Here's the bottom line. There are many people who think that they know Jesus because they know some things about Jesus. It's not enough to know some things about Jesus. You must receive him. You must believe in him. If you haven't done so, you need to do so. I don't know what you're waiting for. You might be the last holdout. 
<laughs> you might be the one. And you surrender, and boom, we're gone. We're, we're home with the Lord, you know. I don't know, but, I, but I'm telling you, these are things you don't want to play with. There are many who believe they're doing what Jesus wants them to do because someone else is telling them that this is what Jesus wants you to do. And you need to be people of the word of God. You need to be self-taught. So then when you come together with God's people, which we're not supposed to ever forsake this, COVID or not, we don't forsake this. This was a lesson where a lot of people thought, you know, we've got to be, we've got to honor God in this. And yet his very word tells us, don't forsake this. I got your back. I got you covered. Don't forsake this. Especially when you say the day drawing near. There are many people who are trusting in something rather than someone. There are people, there are religious people who trust in baptism, who trust in the Lord's Supper, communion, who trust in church membership. But are they trusting in Christ? Because Christ is the means of salvation. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Guys, this is so serious. And this is something we need to take to heart. If you have loved ones that don't know the Lord, you need to pray fervently that they come to faith in Christ. If you've placed your faith in Christ, then haven't you lived your life long enough for yourself? Ask him, Lord, how can I live my life for you? How do you want me to live, Lord? Where do you want me to go, Lord? What do you want me to say, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord? And just to be open to the leading of the Spirit of God. So I hope that there's clarity in this teaching. I hope that you're able to see how it all ties together and is so beautiful. Every time I look at the scriptures and I see these connections, it just blows my mind. Last week, come on up, Nehemiah. Last week, um, I don't remember if it was last Sunday or last, maybe it was Monday night or I think it was Monday night. Uh, men's thing. You guys could stand. Um, Nehemiah, after the thing was over, Nehemiah was talking to one of the brothers and he opens up his Bible to Job and he's reading this portion of scripture and I'm listening. I'm just kind of, you know, eavesdropping. And as he's reading the text, all of a sudden, man, it was like a light went off for me. I thought, wow. I don't remember. You know, I just said last week, have you read Job lately? I read Job quite, quite often, and I could not remember that portion of Scripture. And he says, listen, isn't this what, what Jesus said on the cross? Do you see the Scriptures? I mean, he's, he's, don't you see how they all tie together? And as I'm listening to him, I'm eavesdropping, him talking, I, it just this revelation of another type that we have in the Bible. Job was a type of Christ. Christ is the fulfillment. But he was a type of Christ. And I thought, I don't think I saw that one, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you want your people, you want people, all people, to be engaged. You want us... To, to, to be drawn to you. you. You want 
you want us as your people to meet people where they are, to listen to their interest, and then to be able to communicate the truth of your word and who you are to them, many times based upon right where they're at, right where their focus is at that particular time. So help us, Lord, to be a people equipped to do that. Pray for those who have not yet placed their faith in you that today they would surrender their life to you, that they would believe and they would receive. That they would recognize, Lord, that the works are something that follows salvation. We're called to good works. Communion, well, that's something